Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello, and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. This is our Friday News Roundup, so we're going to look at the news of the week, and we have a lot going on. The Davos uh, meeting of the great globalists that we have in our community that often do nothing, but there's news from Davos, Fannie Willis, the Houthis. So stay with us, and we'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We're back. I would like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Illy Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. You can find him at his website, victorhanson.com. It's called The Blade of Perseus, and please come join us for either a free subscription and get our newsletter so you get news of all the free stuff on the website, and then you can also join for $5 a month or $50 a year for a subscription to the VDH Ultra Material. So we welcome one and all. Well, Victor, I know before we go into the news, you wanted to have a, an update on your Echo <laughs> Diesel. So go ahead. Well, I have I keep getting excited. This has been going on since December 5th, my appeal under California's Lemon Law, since I've lost on two occasions, if you add the total time it's been in the shop, six months. And I should say it was a wonderful truck for 20-something thousand miles. So everybody knows the old saw but i went through one two people in india and got my case referred to a person in america and she was pretty good her name was lisa and then she said they agreed to do it and then she transferred it to another person so i'm on my fourth caseworker <laughs> and they suggested that they've offered a price to buy it back and it's a fair price I think it is, given what I look at Echo Diesels that are in tip-top shape. And by the way, this they don't make them anymore, but they're for sale, brand new, for like $70,000. Yeah. And I think they're a great truck if you don't tow anything. Yeah. And if you have the $70,000, by the way. <laughs> yes, if you have the 70000 when I financed it, of course. So 
anyway, the point I'm making is that now I've got a case and I'm in the penultimate step to take the Echo Diesel, which looks great. It's been really nice looking. So I take it, I put a bed liner, I put a tonneau, whatever you call it, bed, uh, top on it, and I'm waiting for a dealer to have a rendezvous with a Stellantis agent who's going to inspect it to make sure there's no defects, and then I buy it back. But I wanted to buy, I haven't had a truck for six months, so I want to buy another one. But I think I'll buy a Hemi, a gas this time. No offense to you, Echo Diesel owners. <laughs> <laughs> so they all, that was the price they offered. But they also said, given I haven't had a truck for six months, they would give me a discount if, if I bought a Ram. I was thinking of buying a Ford or GM, Ford probably. And so now they said they ha that hasn't been approved. So my, ho my hope soared, and then they said yesterday, hasn't quite been approved. But there is a, a, for all you listeners, there is a rebate from the factory that ends in January. So I was trying to suggest to them if they could quite, not quite delay, then I could get their little discount added to the rebate, and then I could be compensated for the six months I didn't have a truck. Does everybody understand that? So yes. I, I get the price for the the Echo Diesel. Yeah. And then their sweetener was, because you haven't had a car for six months or a truck, we will give you a factory rebate. But there is a factory rebate. I could combine the two of them, but they seem to not coming through now. So I don't know if I'll get it or not. Yeah. Well, can I just say something in defense yes. of Ram, as I always do? They, it's, it is a beautiful truck. I've seen it. And probably the reason that their engine doesn't work so well is because of all the regulations and expectations of these Echo things that are not yes, panning out I, to be uh, what they were. I was uh, speaking in Texas, and a wonderful guy picked me up to take me to this rather remote place, town. And he had a... Ram diesel. And he said, well, what's the DEF? You have DEF in California? I said, yes. He said, well, you just disconnect it. It's not illegal, I think, in Texas. But he said, if you have a DEF, your the life of your diesel is doomed oh, wow. because of the urea going into the fuel system. Yeah. Uh, that is one thing. The other thing is when I bought it, diesel was three cents cheaper. And now it's like 40 or 60 cents. So if you compute that it gets 30 miles, a V8 Hemi gets 21 on the freeway, sounds great. But then you have to put in the DF, and sometimes it's like every four or 5,000 miles, $25. Then you have to have more frequent oil changes, the oil filters, and you have to have additional oil over a gas engine. And... You have to pay that 40 to 50, in California, 40 or 50 cents more diesel. Yeah. And you work it out over the life of the truck, and you really don't save anything to get up to about 80,000 miles. And that was if diesel stays just 40 or 50 cents more than gas. Yeah. So it was a good idea. I had some good fun with it, my Echo Diesel, but <laughs> one of the happiest days of my life, we'll see it. Yeah. Driven away at the last roundup for the last... <laughs> I, can, I can sing old paint. Goodbye, old diesel. I'm going to Montana and throw the hula hand and you're gone. Well, let's turn Goodbye, to Fanny. Goodbye, fiery and snuffy. <laughs> well, let's turn to Fanny Willis, who... Goodbye, Fanny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and here I think we have a um, difference without much distinction, and that is with Governor Kemp, who is not going to bring charges against her for hiring her lover, paying him exorbitantly, and um, they have accused, of course, that all of this stuff has actually been kicked back to Fanny for great vacations in Europe and in the Caribbean. And I just think that poor old Governor Kemp, who has said he's not going to try it, can't <laughs> find a case against her because... Oh, he can would... find a case if all she... All right, you uh, go. You know, he, if she... <laughs> If it is true that he wasn't smart enough to take the money and then just use the money, which is, I think he could get on an ethics violation to bring Fanny and him on all these lavish junkets. But if he billed 
billed as an expense, then he's all through. Well, yes, of course. And she but is I don't too. know that I, I have a feeling he doesn't I read have that. different accounts. But then, more importantly, do you really want a prosecutor who's prosecuting the most historic case in the history of the United States to hire an ambulance chaser who's never, <laughs> who's never tried a criminal case or a felony case and who just happens to have been having a sexual relationship with a woman that he hired and is making more than two of the three other prosecutors that she's hired and in effect sealed his divorce records and he announced uh, what he was going to get divorced the day before he signed the contract. And you have the plot of a great book there, Victor. Yeah, I do. And <laughs> and then goes in front of a black church and claims that it's all racism. Oh yeah, that, so everybody's sick of that. We're you know sick what I mean? It's, the people realize that the whole problem with DI, and I'm not saying she is; she was elected. But is that when you start using race as a criterion and the main criterion? That's not the end of it, Hire. We saw that with Claudine Gay. That's the beginning, because then every single decision about job competency is transformed in the prism of race. Once you give an exemption, you give an, You have to keep giving exemptions. And that's one of the subtexts, everybody, that's underlying this campus tension. It's not just Hamas. It's just not just trans problem is that in the last three to four years, we have let in millions of people in universities who, by the university's own standards, maybe hundreds of thousands at the elite universities, the big universities, by their own standards, by the university's own standards, not yours, not mine, did not fulfill the SAT or GPA requirement. Okay. And so they waive their own requirements, and they're basically saying to us, taxpayers and people who give uh, tax exemptions to private institutions, well, we had all these rules, and we had them because we wanted to be universities of distinction. And we felt that this was the minimum SAT score, the minimum GPA, and we ranked comparative GPAs in high schools because that was the type of student we needed to do the type of work that we said was necessary for a bachelor of arts or sciences. However, now we realize that all those years, we didn't really need that. So we're just gonna let in people with low SAT score, nah, we'll go beyond that. We'll just get rid of the SAT and the ACT. We're gonna rank? Nah, if you go to Selma High School and you get a straight A's, I did. And would that be comparable from somebody with Palo Alto with straight A's? I believe, I can tell you when I went as a freshman to UC Santa Cruz with my straight A's from Selma and I met kids from Palos Verde High and prep school with straight A's that wasn't the same. I was not reading King Lear my freshman year. I was not having sophisticated calculus. So I really had to work. But my point is this, that once you do that, then that is the beginning because all of a sudden you tell your faculty there's no more rules because you have a different student body. So all of a sudden you either inflate your grades, you create new courses that are not, or you water down the content, but you're gonna have to adjust because if you don't adjust and you stick to your old standards, they no longer are relevant because you have new students that are very different than the old students. They're diverse and that's all we care about. And then if, you, if you're a stick in the mud and you still think you have quote unquote standards, we're gonna call them racist, constructs, unnecessary, vindictive, and we're going to go after you. And that's what DEI has done. Yeah. And so what is, what is everybody saying, well, Victor, what, what's the end result? Because you know what the end result is. The end result is if you have a BA in English or history from Yale, Harvard, or Stanford, it means nothing. You, you would be much better off going to a community college in California for two years than going to Cal State LA or somewhere if they hadn't done the same and taking multiple choice tests in a class of 100 people in US history. Because I can tell you that you can't cheat on the multiple choice and they're gonna have things like, you know, what, what year did the Civil War start or who was Robert E. Lee? And when you're writing an essay on why you're a victim of racism because of the Civil War, that's, what you're going to get in an elite university. And I can say that I had three children and some went to UC and one went to CSU 20 years ago. 
And I can tell you that the one that went to the CSU campus had all multiple choice. And I plead arrogance on that, that I never in my entire life have given a multiple choice test. Because I thought, oh, why do that? It's just an easy way of getting a Scantron, then you don't have to do any. I always had essay, hard to correct. But I can tell you that my one child who did the Scantron's multiple choice, he got a lot of facts. He knew a lot about U.S. and world history. My other two were writing essays, and it was haphazard. And it was subjective how they, and I can tell you in the case of one, her ideology hurt her. So I had to tell her not to, uh, not to write an essay that would be politically incorrect. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about the other child. Yeah. So I thought that he got a much better education in history. Yeah. Well, you also remind us that this DEI, it's its too late. They should be focusing their resources on very young children in preschool They're doing and DEI in elementary preschool. school. They're doing DEI in preschool. They're doing DEI in K through 12. They're doing DEI everywhere. So it's, it, it's too late because they've already been brainwashed. And so... In the zero-sum game of education, they've taken DEI and they haven't had time to take grammar and English and math. And uh, so it's too late. Yes, they should abolish DEI and start mathematics and language and grammar and for, like we did. The know? three R's again. That's what, yeah, at a very young age. and. And really help out the, they should focus on the um, neighborhoods that need it, that don't have the, the parents are working, they don't have the time, they got, you need the resources When I was in there. the second grade at a rural high school, rural school in Salma, California, rural in the sense the town was rural, we had a list of all the presidents and there were silhouettes of them, starting with Washington and ending with JFK. And we every day looked at them with the silhouette of the cutout silhouette and the name. And then each week you could write a list. They, you, you were not supposed to look at the table. You had to look straight down. And then you wrote a list of the presidents in order. And we kept doing it till everybody could do it by memory. So she'd say today, we have 42 in the class. Five of you wrote all of the presidents down. Congratulations. But we got to get all of you. So then we would tutor the people who couldn't do it until we got all of them. And it was pretty amazing to kids who had just come from Mexico and were impoverished. And in second grade, they could tell you that JFK came after Eisenhower, came after Truman, came after Roosevelt. It was amazing, and I think that knowledge has stayed with them. It was very, it was a very, it was a, it was an earnest effort to inculcate people with the tools of civic education, and they don't do that anymore. No, they don't. They would be better off taking these kids back to slates and chalk. <laughs> well, they once we had those one-room schoolhouse uh, desk. You know, they were on little skids in a row. They all attached wood desks. They flipped up. It was very impoverished. It was very simple. Yeah. And yet we're spending all this money on EDDs and theories of education and, you know, custodianship of the parentage for the child. And we're not and they're, they know less than ever. We're spending more per student. You know, when we look at this thirty four trillion dollar annual, excuse me, total debt that the United States owes and it's taking $700 billion a year to service and it's unsustainable. And then people's, and the taxes are already 39% and states like California, you add on 13.3 and you get that huge 55% of your income. You could cut so much stuff and go back to where it was. It would be so much better. It's not that the stuff is not needed. It's detrimental, the money we're spending. Yeah. We should just cut it, and then we could be lean and mean, and we'd be a much better country. Yeah. The whole social science part of the budget needs to go. It really does. 
Well, Victor, let's turn now to the Middle East, and I know that they um, they have it having some controversy about whether the Houthi are terrorists or not terrorists, and apparently. Biden has put them back on a terrorist watch list. And the other thing, the other news in the Middle East is, or near the Middle East, is the two American Navy SEALs who disappeared off of Somali. They probably are not alive, but um, I, I was wondering if you knew a little bit about that case. We haven't heard much about it in the news. The whole Houthi thing, we, I had an interview, as some of you listened to Cash Patel, and he made the point that we discussed at length that it wasn't a foreign terrorist organization designation. It was some kind of global terrorist watch uh, designation. And it meant nothing. It just meant that the president had the option to do certain things, but they still can use banks. They can still travel. It, it, it doesn't do anything. So the notion that it's going to stop them or impede them is not there, but it's going to have the opposite effect. They're going to look at that and they're going to say, wow, those stupid Americans were afraid to make us terrorists. We can still do anything. That means they're weak and they're afraid of us. They had two SEALs and they went after a small craft that was in high waters, apparently, that was smuggling. And uh, I guess they were either Iranian or agents of Iran that were smuggling missiles into the Houthis. And they boarded this small, tiny little craft and there were high waves and so they were lost. But... Uh, well, I don't understand what a small craft and just a few people were doing. They should have, I think, just pulled up next to it with a frigate and on a bullhorn said, you've got five seconds to get out of that boat and life rafts and then blow it up. But I don't know why you'd want to board it when it's, when it's got weapons and it's you know what it's doing. It's just going to risk people's lives. But I don't know what we're doing anyway because these people are sending cheap Iranian rockets and they're sending cheap drones, and then we're, we're hitting them with sophisticated ship-to-surface missiles that cost millions of dollars in some cases. We don't have a lot of them. It'd be better just to bomb, bomb, bomb if you're going to do that. Smart bombs are a lot cheaper. Yeah. I, I don't understand the whole... I don't want a war with Iran. I don't, want an, I don't like being in the Middle East. I don't know why we have 30 installations all over Syria and Iraq. I understand they're supposed to stop the resurgence of... ISIS, etc., etc., keep Iranian influence down. Except uh, it's a volatile place. Hamas is now fighting Israel. Hezbollah is weighing in. Pakistan is attacking Iran. Iran attacked Pakistan. It's a bad place. But that being said, the Iranian presence in the Middle East is unstable and it will transcend the Middle East when it gets the bomb because it'll start threatening Europe and everybody else. But maybe not. Maybe they'll say it's like North Korea that hasn't done it yet. I mean, done, it's threatened, but it hasn't you know, attacked Japan or South Korea because it's afraid what we'll do. But sometime you're going to have to deal with Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas. And after this terrible tragedy on October 7th, I thought people were going to allow the IDF to destroy Hamas. And that would send a message uh, to Iran and Hezbollah and the Houthis, and apparently we're not going to let them do that. And because we keep quoting the Hamas death figures, it's very tragic when civilians die in a war, but when you look at some of the Israeli counterfactuals, that they may have killed maybe 15 or 20,000 Hamas people, and maybe the civilians that they say are civilians were just one to one rather than nine to one. They're claiming nine civilians die for every Hamas. It's more like one-to-one. -one. Yeah. And more importantly, there's a lot of evidence is coming out of Gaza that so-called Gazan civilians are not civilians. What do I mean by that? I mean three things by that. When the holes were torn op open in the Gaza wall, hundreds if not thousands of Gazans on the word that you could go in and kill and loot and rape, these were not Hamas gunmen, they were civilians if there is a difference. And they went in and they stole things and they captured hostages and they took them back and they sold them for reportedly $10,000 to Hamas. Then when Hamas wanted to hide hostages, it often picked on quote unquote civilians. 
and it was quote-unquote civilians that ran schools, mosques, and hospitals where they knowingly were hiding Hamas gunmen and weapons to be used against Israel, storehousing. And it was so-called civilians when that one hostage broke out and started to get away that screamed and yelled and spotted him and turned him in. It was so-called civilians that every time they see a hostage, whether initially after October 7th being paraded into Gaza or after October 7th, if he's happened to be one of the lucky who were released, what do they do? They spit at them, they try to, they try to hit them, they try to kill them. So I, I, I think this whole idea that, that there's civilians in Hamas is wrong. I think they're, they're inseparable in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and come back and we'll talk a little bit about the rhetoric going on about Trump since the, his victory at, in the Iowa caucus. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. You can find Victor on his ex account. His handle is at VD Hansen. So please join him there. He's got quite a lot and he does tweet, um, tweet. I guess we still call him tweet. He, he does X quite often on X. So, uh, come join us. Well, Victor, there's a lot of rhetoric going on about Trump as dangerous and dictatorial or as his supporters, according to, I believe this was Joy Reid, they're white Christian extremists. And I was wondering if you had some commentary on what, what's going on in the political world that not, you know, right after Iowa, they're out there yammering about these things that Anybody well, who everybody saw his realizes. First. Oh, go ahead. So they have two. They, you know who they are. It's the mainstream media, the institutional people, the Biden people, the left, the pro-Hamas people, all of these people. So they look at Iowa and they see that Trump won 51 percent of the vote. And no one had ever done that in a multi-candidate field. So they're trying to find some good news when there isn't any because they despised him. And of course, they're not self-reflective people. So they never say to themselves, oh, my God, we tried to accuse this guy of Russian disinformation, Russian collusion. We impeached him twice. We tried him as a private citizen. We cooked up that caper about the Alpha Bank. We lied about the laptop. We've got four ongoing indictments that are a joke. and We're trying to get him off the ballot. Wow. And it didn't work. It did the opposite. They don't think like that. So they just say... Okay, well, 51 was a record, but it meant nothing because he almost didn't get a majority, even though it's a multi-candidate field with four, uh, four candidates. That's pretty good. So they were worried about that. So that was a quarter of the people said, ah, it was nothing, don't worry. It was just, and we're not even going to cover his speech. The other three quarters of the left said, uh-oh, he is not going to be caught by DeSantis and Haley He's ahead of the polls and Biden. He is a dictator. That's what we'll say. He's a dictator. And we'll say, um, how about retribution and revenge? I know he joked about it, but he, he really was serious when he said he was going to have retribution just for a day, and meaning he was going to overturn everything Biden did in the way that Biden did to him. So now they're saying that the ultra-maga, semi-fascist, uh, half the country are white Christian nationalists. And remember, this was Joy Reid, an immigrant family, an African-American woman who has dyed blonde hair. 
Yeah. So it would be like some white racist person, because she is a racist. She calls everybody in Iowa evangelical white. And, you know, that's not, it's not the majority of Iowans are, are evangelicals. There's Catholics, there's Protestants, there's traditional Protestants. And so she makes these racist stereotypes. It would be as if you had a white racist saying, we have too many black people, they all vote, 93% of them vote all the same, and he had dreadlocks on. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. I don't understand it, but I used, according to Joy Reid, she's culturally appropriating a look that is unfair to people. So, by having a white, I by mean, having a, blonde, a blonde hair, hair. dyed blonde hair, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's cultural appropriation. I'm sure that our Scandinavian people feel culturally appropriated. Yeah. So what are they afraid he's going to do? Maybe they're afraid that he, hmm, he might hire an ex-spy to work with Russian sources to go defame his opponent and then make a dossier, and it's against the law for a foreign national. He might could do that. Maybe when he's president, he'll take the FBI and work with X and have FBI people and X work together to suppress news that's unfavorable to him. They could do that. They could even blacklist particular newspapers. Maybe we could take the New York Times off of X the way the New York Post was. Maybe he could get his future secretary of state to round up 51 right-wing CIA or intelligence authorities, and they could swear that Stormy Daniels' uh, disclosure wasn't Russian. It wasn't Trump's at all. The Russians did it. He didn't sign any disclosure. That's just Russian disinformation. I guess he could say to his sons, uh, those tax problems you have, don't worry, my IRS is never going to go after you. Maybe he could say in the 2026 midterm, dictator Trump could. All student don't, the, you know, student loans are uh, by fiat. Dictator Trump says you don't have to pay them back. Ah, I have another idea, Dictator Trump. Dictator Trump said, uh, wow, the midterms are coming up. Let's drain the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. <laughs> Maybe we can do that. I know what Dictator Trump could do. He could go, think of this, that Dictator Trump could order the FBI to have a SWAT raid into one of Joe Biden's many residences and look for what? More papers that he took out when he was vice president and Senate. He could do that. I guess he could also say there's no statute of limitations on some of these crimes. You know, right now they're looking at the January 6th protest to see if there were any on the grounds, even though it was about three years ago. Dictator Trump could say there were 14,000 people arrested in 2020 the Antifa, the BLM people. And they were arrested for hitting, striking 1,500 officers 30, and killing 35 people. And, and destroying 15, a lot 35, of property. Yeah, $2 billion worth of property. They torched a federal, that's a federal offense, a courthouse and a precinct that was a local uh, precinct. And they also uh, tried to attack the White House grounds. That's a federal offense. So you know what we're going to do, dictator Trump? We're going to refile charges against those 14,000 people. We're going to charge them with assault, arson, looting, attacking federal property, and illegal parading as well. Dictator Trump could also say, you know, I may be 78, but I'm not going to answer any medical questions. Dictator Trump's going to say, you know what? I'm going to stay at Mar-a-Lago for four days a week. Just relax. You don't care. The media is not going to touch dictator Trump. Dictator Trump can say we have 500 sanctuary cities that are they're immune from federal immigration law. So I got 500 in my own cities. And guess what? They have no, no endangered species list in those. And you don't have to register that handgun. <laughs> That's it's a good just, one. <laughs> you just go in and buy it because you're exempt. And dictator Trump says so. Dictator Trump also says, you have the southern border. It doesn't exist anymore. If you're a Cuban right-wing refugee from communism, come across. Maybe you guys in South Africa that are being treated terribly, come over here. We just want anybody who might be a conservative voter to come across my non-existent Dictator Trump border. And then he could also say, Dictator Trump, hmm, I got an idea, dear. 
Mr. Autocrat Trump, we're going to get every damn Democrat off state ballots because they engaged in felonious insurrectionary behavior. So Kamala Harris, remember her? She said, these riots won't stop. They shouldn't stop. They're going to go on till election. She helped bail out terrorists. She's off the ballot in all of our red states. Dictator Trump can say, ah, just leave $50 billion of weapons to the Taliban. I don't care. I got to get it. I got to get out of Afghanistan before the 20th anniversary of September 11th and or uh, simultaneous almost uh, in intervention there so I can have a big parade. And dictator Trump can say, all you conservative prosecutors, just let people out. You know, if they, you arrest them for theft, assault, carjacking, smashing, grab, let them out the same day. That would be great. Dictator Trump could, I don't know, say to Don and Eric and Yvonne, hey, you guys, here's what I got to plan. You're going to go all over the world, Ukraine, China, Romania, and see if they will give us some money. And here's the only you only have to do two things. Dictator Trump says to his children, when you give me the checks, just write on the bottom loan repayment. <laughs> <laughs> and in exchange, you call me the big guy. And when you're doing the deal, say you call in to your Romanian counterpart and says, I'm sit you know who I'm sitting next to? The big guy. And he's angry. And that's what we're going to do. Dictator Trump could get, I don't know, $30 million. Dictator Trump could, I don't know, to make the IRS uh, punish friends, punish enemies and help friends. The point I'm making is what exactly would Dictator Trump do that civil libertarian Joe Biden has not already done? Yeah. And that's called projection. So that's what it's all about. I yeah. could go on and on, but people are getting sick of it. And dictator Trump hadn't done anything that dictator Biden has done. Yeah. And yet they're already imagining what he would do because they've seen what Biden does. And they think he thinks like Biden. They think like they do. Yeah. No, 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 no. To quote the Reverend Jeremiah Wright. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't think like you. We're not into retribution in the way you are, but you think we are because you know what you did to us and you know what you would do if you were us and you had power. Yeah. But did you hear Trump's speech where he was after the Iowa caucus and he was the red, he was talking about bringing the country back together again, et cetera? That's why they didn't air it. Yeah, I know. I they mean, wouldn't they said talk they, about it. No, they thought it was too insurrectionary to say that he wasn't going to have retribution. Yeah. And he wanted to unite the country. That doesn't fit their narrative. Yeah. So I don't know. They're, it's not going to end well. The only way that you can deal with the left is to defeat them at the ballot box again and again and again. Yeah. And you think that this rhetoric that we were just talking about, it's just, it's part of the, I, I just look at it and go, what's their long-term game plan? Are they just going to be making these things up yes. so they have their cases and then they start this rhetoric in their mainstream media else, outlets and that's it? Yes. But what else can they do? Can they say this? Are they planning Joe Biden getting it and then replacing him with somebody, do you think, as I well? I think that's the their only chance. They blew it because it's too late now to get a, a viable candidate on. They're trying to get make sure that Kennedy and Phillips, Jill Stein, Cornell, they're not going to be in the ballots. Wow. They've got New Hampshire's primary is a joke. So they're going to go to the convention and then they're going to try to push him out and get Michelle or Gavin or somebody like that, Josh Shapiro, someone. And um, but they don't I mean, they're not going to run on we're the Democrats. And Joe Biden gave us one of the most secure borders in history. They and act like they're going to run on that. You know, no, they don't. They never mentioned it. They never say those 10 million people are going to be an asset today. There was a suggestion that they could cost anywhere from 30 to 50 thousand dollars for replacement and things It could cost over a half a trillion dollars just for the people he's let in and we're already 34 trillion in debt but they're not going to say we gave you 
I don't know, 18% higher prices since we came in. They're not going to say Afghanistan was one of the most efficient withdrawals you've ever seen. No, of course not. But they're going to say the economy's going great. They're going to say, you know, uh, shrug off the border that, you know, America can absorb yeah, no, these. It's always absorbed They're immigrants. not going to say that. <laughs> I hope not. But. No, what they're going to say is Donald Trump is a fascist and his supporters are white racist evangelicals. They're going to say what they're saying. Yeah. And he is an insurrectionist and all of his people are ultra-mega semi-fascist. And we, they're dangerous. They're going to destroy democracy. This is our last election. This may be our last. This is what Robert Kagan wrote about in the Washington Post. This is what Maureen Dowd writes every week. I mean, these people have no self-awareness. They don't realize that 11 days after Donald Trump was inaugurated, and by the way, they, we've forgotten there were big riots that were violent in Washington that day. There really were. People don't forget about what January 20th, 2017 was like. Madonna even said that she had dreams of blowing up the White House, if you remember. But 11 days later, and I guess it was Foreign Policy magazine, uh, Rosa Brooks, the Obama-era lawyer, wrote a article, and I've quoted it before. we got to get rid of this guy. It's been 11 days. <laughs> and it's like, 25th Amendment? Nah. Too clumsy. Impeachment? Nah. Takes too long. Military coup? Well, that's something to think about. If officers just didn't obey his his orders, that would be a chain event. Then he would have no credibility, and he might have to be removed. So that's what they were thinking already. That's what they're thinking right now. There's just an article today where the editorial essayist says, what is wrong with all of these Trump people that work for him? I know they thought they were doing the country. What happened to Mattis? What happened to, to Kelly? Why aren't they out there warning us? Where's Bolton? Hello? John Bolton did all he could to stop Trump from being reelected. He destroyed his fides in the conservative community by being a fanatic, never Trumper. Jim Mattis said that Donald Trump was on the other side of the people on D-Day, i.e. he was, you know what that means. Kelly said he was unfit and, and they all have attacked Trump. But this essay is the saying, wow, you guys have attacked Trump, but you haven't attacked him enough. And if you want to get in with us and be fully accepted in the progressive community, you're just going to have to go back and attack him, attack him. That's what they're left with. That's my point. Yeah. They don't have any substantial issues with him. It's like Jamie Dimon. We can go to what he said. Oh, at, yes. At we want to go at the Davos. Yeah, but let, can we take a break first yes. and then we'll come on back for Davos. Stay with us and we'll be back. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis. Go green with solar panels or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. We're back. So, yes, Victor, we were going to turn to Davos, but could I just have one more question on the campaign first before we do that? Um, what it, do, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, well, Haley and DeSantis, that's it for them. Why waste all that campaign money, millions, running more and more primaries? I just don't. I, I don't see the Democrats doing that. They're just saving their war chest for later. <laughs> So what's your point? I think they should save all that war chest. Haley and DeSantis should get behind Trump and let's go. Okay. So you tell Haley, who is going into New Hampshire, and she is wildly spending more money than Donald Trump was. I don't think DeSantis will spend any. 
And she is appealing to whom? Not just independents, but in an open primary, Democrats. So in her way of thinking, she's going to get 40% of the vote, and Donald Trump's going to get 41 or 42. And then she's going to say, it's South Carolina, and I was governor. And that, that's what her plan is. So is she going to be viable? No, because look at the two alternatives to Trump. If, and DeSantis, people forgot, he beat Haley. She was supposed to win. I don't understand how all the media said, DeSantis is through, Haley won. No, DeSantis, you told us, was through, and that Haley was going to come in second. She came in third. So why is that? He defied expectations, and she disappointed expectations. It didn't make any sense. But the point is that can DeSantis appeal to independents and rhinos more than Haley can appeal to the base? Yes. Because I think if she were to be the nominee or even on the vice president billet, she would alienate a lot of people. I just watched uh, this morning a long 17-minute uh, Tucker presentation, and it's all about Haley. And he sums up every quote that I didn't even know about yeah. that she had said. And she basically blamed all of us for George Floyd. And as Tucker said, you had a felon who had coronary artery disease, who was suffering the effects of maybe COVID or long COVID, who was high on drugs and may have ingested them during the arrest, who resisted arrest, who was in the middle of committing a felony of counterfeit currency passing, who had a long violent criminal record and may or may not have had a heart attack or choked because of a police maneuver that is used against large suspects who are resisting arrest by placing a knee on their neck. But the autopsy said that the knee did not cause the suffocation. Okay. And so, given all of that, she said that we're all at fault. And we all are, are guilty of this. And Tucker has the quote. She said in the past, you can't call them illegal aliens. That's mean. And they're not lawbreakers. Yeah, they are lawbreakers. They broke the law. If I go into Greece and I don't have, let's say I go in and then after 90 days I don't get a visa, that's against the law. I'm an illegal alien. And I know people who, when I have lived there for three years, who were illegal aliens. They always say, I'm an illegal, illegal alien. I, you say, well, what are you going to do? And he goes, when I go to the airport, they're going to find out that I never registered. Well, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to have a fine. I have to pay a fine or I'm going to have to be deported. I can't come back. So she has a whole, that's just on immigration. On, she's a nice person. She was governor. She raised taxes. She, it was just the consensus. If you want a John McCain or a Mitt Romney candidate, then she, she's the candidate. And a lot of big time donors think it's time to go back to Romneyism and McCainism. And that's a legitimate point of view. But what isn't legitimate is to feel that way and to be that way your entire life and all of a sudden, for a brief period, to say you're a MAGA conservative. Yeah. DeSantis is a MAGA conservative. He's probably more conservative than Trump on issues like Disney or cultural wars or abortion. But Haley's different. And, you know, there's people around Trump who are very MAGA who want to make her vice president because they'll say she will bring in all of the... Independence. Yeah, but it's very dangerous to have a 78-year-old president. Anybody, and I'm 70, it's dangerous to have a 70-year-old president uh, and then a vice president in the wings who doesn't believe the same way as the president. We saw that with Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush, Reagan was criticized because he picked an aristocratic, blue-stocking East Coast person that had really called him names during the 1980 primary, called him voodoo economics, remember that? Mm -hmm. And then that was a very tense situation. And so when George H.W., who was a good man, he was a good guy, he was president, all he had to do was say, I'm continuing the Reagan revolution, which had been very successful. And what did he say? He wanted a kinder, gentler nation. Notice the comparative adjective, kinder, gentler, as compared to what? And everybody said, oh, you're talking about 
the previous presidency, the president who picked you to be vice president and created your career after you had not had national aspirations that were going to be successful. So that didn't work, did it? Thousand points of light, all of that stuff. I'm going to ingratiate myself to the left, and it didn't work. And Ross Perot ensured it wouldn't work. If he had have just said, I'm a Reagan conservative and I'm going to continue the Reagan revolution because Reagan couldn't quite finish in eight years, but we will that he would have been much better off. Yeah. Well, you brought up Ross Perot. So do you think that these um, outlier candidates in the Democratic Party will get themselves together as a third party and people disrupt it? People don't realize, I get so tired of people on MSNBC or CNN saying, no, third party, they, you know, they have no, they don't realize Third-party candidates have had a role. They never get elected, but they can lose the incumbent president. That's exactly what Teddy Roosevelt did with William Howard Taft and gave us eight horrible years of Woodrow Wilson's racist progressivism. And that's what, if you're a left-wing person, you can make the argument that uh, Ralph Nader did the same thing to Al Gore in 2000. He took just enough votes in Florida and, and some key states. And you can make the argument that George Wallace forced in 1968 Richard Nixon's Southern strategy. And he won several states. And you can make the argument that Ross Perot prevented George H.W. Bush from winning. And he might have done it. Uh, people forget that in 19. 96, he ran again, if you remember. Yeah. And uh, he, he didn't win like he did. I think he won 16%, but he won almost 9%. And if you look at uh, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton never won 51%. I don't think he won 150%. Even in his big re-election victory of 96, he was 49%. And if you had taken all the votes for Ross Perot and given them to George H.W. Bush, he might have been, uh, I mean, if you had given them to Bob Dole, he might have been elected. Yeah. So yes, third party candidates do two things. They either affect the political stature or stance or program of a candidate who is most threatened by them and warp his campaigning, or they erode from one candidate in a very, if they're considerable, when you have four of them, and it doesn't, and under our electoral college and we're a split country, if you get Cornell West running and in a, in a state like Michigan, and he takes, to, he takes 10% of the black vote in the Detroit area, that, that's big, big, big. And if you get someone like Phillips, it gets the, you know, the independent, tired Democrat, and he gets 1% or 2% in Pennsylvania, that is big. If you get Robert F. Kennedy, <laughs> and he gets a lot of the libertarian left and right and gets 6 or 7% in some states, that is big. Even crazy Jill Stein may have, I mean, Hillary and those people blamed her for a lot of stuff in 2016. So, so when you lose a state by 10,000 votes, 15,000, everything matters. Yeah, it sure does. Well, Victor, we were saying we were going to go to Davos, which is the global meeting every year that all our globalists get together, and it's usually pretty meaningless and not very interesting. But we had a speech by Argentine president, the new one. He's a libertarian of sorts, Javier Millet, I hope I said his name right. And he basically argued collectivist models don't work and give enormous power to the bureaucrats and less freedom and wealth to ordinary people. And it was a fairly repetitive um, uh, speech in that order. And I thought, well, I guess you just have to really pound it into these Davos people because they're not going to get it otherwise. But I was wondering if you had thoughts on that and on Jordan, not Jordan, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, who started saying Trump was right. Yes. Well, I guess people Davos is um because Davos has such a bad reputation of globalist groupthink that everybody goes there and they're complete hypocrites. They have a thousand private jets that park there. They, they don't care about their own carbon footprint, why they lecture what they're going to do to us. They talk about world government. They trash Trump. And everybody detests it. 
but it does give you a great opportunity to be a maverick and get media attention. And so Mealy comes in and he flies, as you said, he flies commercial. And he doesn't have his parked jet. And then he starts talking about an economic agenda that is completely contrary to the globalist agenda. And he doesn't want any part of the globalist agenda. And he likes the United States and he likes Donald Trump. And he's a libertarian. So what do they do? They keep saying, well, it's got hyperinflation. Yes, that's why he was elected. They've destroyed the economy that socialists have the last eight, ten years. And so this guy has just been there. So he's trying this radical surgery. And he goes to Davos to tell Davos, F you. This is what I'm doing in Argentina. If you were smart, you would do exactly what I am because it's going to help people. And all you're going to do is perpetuate your private jet rule of the elite. And so Jamie Dimon was in a place where he's he's kind of got a culture that he's a maverick. Remember, he said, I think a few years ago, I'm barely democratic. He was. He doesn't like Trump. But I've always kind of liked him because I have a certain prejudice about Greeks, of course. <laughs> I lived in Greece. I studied Greece my entire life. So his family was a old family. His grandparents, grandfather was from Izmir, Smyrna. Remember that Smyrna was a very interesting city. It's on the coast, west coast today of Turkey. And there, it, was, it was one of the few places that had a reverse immigration. As the Ottomans started to fall, and as uh, in the end of the 19th century, there was kind of the lack of central control. Greeks from the old Byzantine Empire days, ancient families started to go back to thinking that it might be independent. And then World War One. this is a good excursus, World War I happened, Turkey bet on the wrong side, Greece bet on the right side, the Allies won, and they thought this is time for the megala idea, the great idea that we're gonna reconstitute a Byzantine empire of all the Greek-speaking peoples in an Aegean lake. Ionia, the coast of Turkey, and Constantinople will be Greek again. The British army's occupying it. All they have to do is turn it over to us. We have Cyprus. We have all of, and it was a great idea, and his family was at one, I think by 1918, there was a million Greeks almost that were living in Smyrna, which is now Izmir. And then of course, the great tragedy, they were ethnically cleansed butchered, tortured, burned down the city, the, the Young Turks did, the Ataturk takeover, and uh, that family fled. So he, I think that's his grandfather. So they, he came here, and his grandfather was very prominent in financial circles, and Smyrna's dad worked for American Express. So he had a family tradition and knowledge and inside route, so to speak, and then he went to American Express, I think, and he was very successful. His dad worked there. He made a lot of money, he turned it around. Remember all of a sudden you saw American Express ads on TV and everybody wanted American Express. That was partly he and his partner, Will, did that. And then he's run uh, J.P. Morgan for nearly two decades and he's turned it into the biggest bank in the world. And he's been very, very successful. And that success, and Greeks are that way anyway, in his outspoken manner, he, he says things that are interesting. And so this is something he, he didn't have to say that, but he's at Davos, and when you get the usual Trump, Trump's Hitler stuff, he just said, it was kind of Socratic. Did you, did you watch it, the tape? He said, yes. the border? He did, he did pretty well. Hmm. Economy? He, he was on track. Hmm. Foreign affairs? Not bad. And he just very systematically in Socratic fashion went through and said, I don't know what the problem is. It was pretty good. And then the interrogator was speechless. So when one of the most powerful men in the world says that, and remember, there's a lot, the whole financial community is left of center. The big money, big, big money. And Joe Biden will outspend Donald Trump like Hillary Clinton outspent him and as Joe Biden himself outspent him in 2000. He'll outspend him three and a half to one. So when you see any member of that community say that they're not going to, they might like Donald Trump, I don't know if he'll vote for him. Bill Ackman, who's going, who went after Claudine Gay, he was a very smart guy. He said that he's, he's uh, helping Phillips. He's not going to vote for, or at least he's not in the primary going to vote for 
Biden. Biden. So you're starting to see a slight defection among the Wall Street titans. And why are you doing that? Because they're worried about their country and they understood that Donald Trump is uncouth and crude and didn't have the protocols necessary for international uh, and global finance. And then they thought Joe Biden was good old Joe Biden. Bill Clinton redukes or something and they found out he was a complete non-compost mentes, empty suit run by the Obamas and Bernie Sanders and the rest of them, and it's been an ungodly disaster. So they're starting to have a little bit of defection because they're worried about the country. Well, um, Victor, the last topic today is the border, and apparently there was three people that drowned, two kids and their mother, and the accusation was that the Texas... um, National Guard was preventing the federal border agents from getting to these illegals. And then we find out that the Texas National Guard was only um, warned or told an hour after they were already dead that this situation existed. So I was wondering if you had some thoughts on that. You know what it's like when I read that story? It's like you take a huge football stadium that holds 100,000 people and you do it at 10 below. And you say to everybody out on the street, if you go in there, it's going to be utopia. You're going to get a hundred bucks for nothing. And a whole crowd just rushes into the stadium and it's 10 below and they're not equipped to live there. And then the poor little guards at the end say, please don't do it. And they try to hold them back. And then a bunch of them freeze to death. And then they blame the guards that are trying to hold them back, not the people who cooked up the idea to lure them in. And so that's what happened at the border. These Texas people who are on the front lines are trying their best to stop it. And Joe Biden, you know who I blame ultimately is the media, because when this started to happen during the Obama administration, they didn't say a word. And then when it continued during the Trump early years and they sued and there were defections within his, you know, he had an anonymous and the guy that kept writing the op-eds, how they were. Uh, not following Trump's orders. He was in Homeland Security. And then they started to say that Donald Trump had Auschwitz-like cages. Remember that he just used the Biden detention centers and they said, and they did all of that stuff. And they never, what, what gets me about it is they let these people in and they know that it's winter and they don't have sufficient food or clothing and they send millions of them in and then somebody tries to stop it and they blame them for all the bad stuff. They never say that some illegal alien they let in died on the streets of New York, or they never say that some guy killed somebody in a drunk driving accident. They never say that. They just try to look, scan the entire news cycle and see if they can blame someone for the problem that Biden created. Yeah. And all he had to do was tell everybody, don't come, it's too dangerous. We don't have the resources, we're 34 trillion in debt. You're going to need food and shelter and education and health care and legality. And we have 70 or 80 million poor people that we have to take care of because they're citizens. So please don't come unless you do it legally and measured and diversely and meritocratically. He won't do that. Yeah. You know why he won't? Because the puppeteers are whispering in his ear. If you let all these people in, first of all, these ballot laws are so poor, especially in places like California, where they mail out the DMV mailed out 100,000 uh, ballots to people who weren't citizens. So there's no scrutiny. So some of them are going to vote immediately, but they're going to bring their kids in. And some of them will just say or anchor babies or they'll have children. And this is a good short and long term investment for constituencies. Who are going to require federal help. Yeah, that want entitlements and they will always vote for the entitlers. Um, Well, Victor, we're at the end of our show, and I just want to tell everybody, because you did mention the Cash interview, Cash Patel interview, and he that that will run and air tomorrow on Saturday. So that will be your weekend episode. So please listen in. It was a good interview. Did you have a few words to say about it so people know what's going on in it? Well, Cash Patel is a very controversial guy. You remember everybody that he started out in prominence, he was a federal prosecutor. He was a, I think he was a public defender when he started his early career. But he ended up working for Devin Nunes in the House Intelligence Committee, and he was the kind of the right hand man of Devin Nunes. And they were together 
there was a couple of other people who were very prominent as well, and they broke the story of Christopher Steele. They showed that he was being paid as an informant. They showed that there were three paywalls, they, they, and they were completely reviled. Then when Trump came in, he was on the National Security Council. He was in the Department of Defense. And he knows, uh, I guess he's one of the experts on what the left tried to do during the last years of the Obama administration and the four years of the Trump administration. When he wrote about it, you know, Government Gangsters, the book that just came out, I think in September, they tried to stop it. They tried to stop him, said it was classified information, etc. So, Yeah, he was very brave on all that, I remember he, that. He was, and I think... They hate him right now. Yeah. They cannot stand him because they're afraid he will play a prominent role if Donald Trump should be elected. Yeah. Well, th- I think one of the reasons they're calling Trump a dictator is they're looking over the landscape and they think he's not like 2016. There's not going to be a Scaramucci or a Steve Bannon or an Omaroso or, you know, three or four defense secretaries. He's going to get people who he trusts that are not going to be leaking to the New York Times or writing anonymous op-eds about how they're stopping Trump from the inside or generals that are going to the media and saying he's a fascist. And I think it's going to get a professional team. Places like the Heritage Foundation are both looking at people that could serve, and then also agendas that are very scripted. So if he were to be elected, I think the left thinks, you know what, these guys are seasoned now, and they might just hit, if they win the Senate, they could do a lot of damage to the socialist agenda. And that's why they're they're paranoid, and they call them dictators, and they, they're worried. Yeah. And they're worried about people like Cash Patel. They think, oh my God, that guy knows how we operate. He does not like us. He's very intelligent, and he's educated, and he knows government inside out. And they put that guy in DOD or CIA or something, and he may find out things that we did that, my God, it would be very embarrassing. Yeah. Well, Victor, your dogs have been um, speaking up during this broadcast, so I think everybody knows we're broadcasting from the ranch today. Um, so this is the end, and we thank everybody for joining us. We've f- rounded up and finished our roundup of the news um, for today. So thank you, Victor, and thanks for all the wise things about our current and contemporary a- affairs. Well, thank you, and I hope thank you, everybody, uh, for listening. It's going to really heat up in the next month or two, the rhetoric about the so-called Trump dictator. So we need to pay attention getting very polarized, and it's going to get even more polarized as the left starts to see that they may lose this next election unless they fill in the blanks what they're capable of. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. All right. Thanks to everybody. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, and we're signing off.